This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell from the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Julie Fison, welcome to Better Reading. Thank you so much for having me, Cheryl. Julie is a Brisbane-based author of books for younger readers and adults. She wrote the Hazard River Adventure series for young readers and the play As the Crow Flies. This novel, One Punch, is this your first novel for adults? This is my first novel for adults. So Yeah, um, wow. Yeah, I wrote 11 books for kids and young adults, plus a play, plus short stories, and but this is my debut novel for adults. Fantastic. It's a gripping drama about two mothers that get embroiled in an incident of teenage violence in Brisbane and how they deal with the consequences and ethical questions that arise. Okay, so Julie, um, tell me, where did the idea for One Punch come from? Well, I guess I was thinking about it since my older son finished high school, his first year out of university. There was a very tragic event at the start of that year, not involving him and it wasn't someone I knew, but it was a boy about my son's age was attacked, a coward punch, and he died of his injuries. And it was such a random attack in the valley late at night, but he was a boy very much like a lot of boys I knew. So it felt very close to home, even though I didn't personally know the boy, a lot of people in my community did know him. And so I think it put parents on notice and we were all feeling very nervous about our kids going out that first year they started uni, going into the valley, staying out late at night, drinking a lot, being very vulnerable. So it was very, it was very much about the vulnerability of boys then that I was thinking about. And then despite the publicity around this boy's assault and death, every weekend I seem to be hearing another story about a boy my son's age being punched, being a king hit, a a coward punch, and a friend's son was punched unconscious in the street outside a bar and then kicked repeatedly in the face. And these kind of things just kept building up and I just, I was just horrified and I just felt like I had to write a story about it. Mm. There was two incidences in Sydney that I can recall. I mean, there's probably more, but you might even know of them. And they were king punches involving young men. And one of them, or maybe after both of them, you know, the city shut down King's Cross where they happened. And and so they should. However, the, the distinction between young men and young women dying, I feel, is not equal. Do you have a view about that and do you have daughters? Because if you look at, and I don't know about Brisbane, but if you look at King's Cross in the area where those two young men were murdered and terrible, hundreds of women have been murdered and we didn't shut down the city. I don't have daughters, so I'm very much focused focused on boys and young men and I feel like 
girls who get murdered, there is definitely a type of murder that attracts a lot of publicity and in, in both situations. And I think it's very disproportionate according to, you know, various factors. And we certainly, you know, value someone who is, looks like they shouldn't be vulnerable, but they are, I guess. So, yeah, I, I, I don't know that I feel like, you know, I feel like there's more attention placed. I often find there's more attention placed on women uh, murdered than men because you see a lot of publicity around, you know, those random attacks, you know, not so much the domestic violence and, and things that happen behind closed doors, but certainly those very high profile and very tragic attacks against women in the street do get mm. a lot of publicity. And, you know, I know, because I'm a mother of boys, I guess, and I'm so much more aware of assaults against young men, I see a lot of that happening. And some of those high-profile cases get an, a massive amount of publicity, but others, yeah, others don't. Mm. For me, it's like if men were being murdered at the speed of which women are in, you know, domestic violence, violence, random violence, uh, we would probably, I think, take more action is how I feel about that. Yeah, that's a mm. that's an interesting point. It's because domestic violence is very different from I think street violence and yeah. and young men and males are a lot more likely than women to be murdered on the street and mm. in public and mm. be attacked in fights, etc. Because they don't have that same sense of, okay, I'll just protect myself a little bit more than I need to. You know, I'll be a bit more cautious because men are a bit more cavalier. They'll walk into fights. They'll, you know, get into fights at taxi queues and things like that. So I think they're definitely in the wrong place at the wrong time a lot more often possibly mm. than women are. But, you know, domestic violence I think is, you know, something where I think it's getting a lot of publicity right now and we're looking at it very carefully, which is fantastic and long overdue. But on the other side, you know, men are more likely to be murdered than women on the street in public. Mm, I don't know. I don't know if I agree with that because I think that women um, have always had to defend themselves like you and I. We know that, you know, be careful when you're out at midnight or be careful. So we've had to look out for danger our whole lives, you know. Anyway, let's let's talk about the book. <laughs> I really enjoyed the book. I want you to talk about how your writing career started, how you came to writing. Okay, well, my background was in journalism, so hence mm -hmm. I get it interested in in subjects in the news and in real life. Um, so my background was in as a TV news reporter. Uh, when I had young kids, I decided to start writing fiction for kids because I wanted to write a story for them. And I started out writing an adventure series, Hazard River, uh, which was a lot of fun to write. And it was very much inspired by my son's adventures on the Noosa River, which is, you know, a lot of people know Noosa and it's very safe, organised, you know, beautiful spot, but the Noosa River is a bit wilder and there's sandbanks and stingrays and bull sharks and, you know, lots of places to build uh, camps and things like that. And it was very much my, like my own childhood and that's kind of what I wanted to recreate for them. And I was so excited that these two little boys who'd been born in England eventually got the idea of having an adventure in Australia. And so 
that was something I really wanted to write about. So I started writing fiction for kids. And of course, it took me a little while to get published, but I did eventually go to a book launch uh, in Brisbane and find the publisher who, who was launching the book that, that I was there for, Paul Collins from uh, Ford Street Publishing, and told him about my stories. And having waited for quite a long time already to looking for a publisher, and in those days you sent off a pitch and waited months and months and months, and then it might come back and whatever. But he got back to me like literally a few days later and it's like, send me the rest of the stories that you've written because I'd written four stories in the series already. And he got back to me within two weeks and I had a contract for for all four books. So after waiting you know, several years really for good news. It happened, it all happened quite quickly. And so I I spent the next 10 years writing for kids and young adults and a play. But then I started to lose the voices around me. My kids had grown up and I really wanted to, to write a story about someone, you know, about mothers who whose kids who had young adult sons. And that's really what what I came up with uh, with One Punch. But my first instinct was to write a fun story about mothers going on a road trip and singing karaoke and getting lost in the bush and that kind of stuff. But really this story about male violence was something that was still in my head. And when I got down to it, that, that kind of seemed like the better story to start with as with adult fiction. So I found a publisher with a firm press. They're wonderful. We love them. Yes, yeah. through the CYA conference, pitched it to them and then had quite quickly they jumped on it. And, yeah, here we, a year later, here we are. Um, and how did it become this story? Did you first set out to write a fiction story about mothers or did you tell me how the idea came from? Was it, you know, the real life experiences you'd seen? Tell me how that started. So I really started out with those real stories in my head and thought I, I knew I wanted to write a story about mothers and for adults rather than the story from the kids' point of view because I had obviously written YA stories and obviously it's a lot easier to write a story about a a mother who's the protagonist for me than write a story from a kid's point of view. So maybe I took the easier option, but I really wanted to write a story for my own peers, um, a story that book clubs would love. So I started off thinking, okay, I definitely want the mother of the victim as the protagonist. And I really thought it would be her journey of hunting down the perpetrator and how that would unfold. But then I started, as as I did more research and talked to more people about it, which I wouldn't normally do. I don't normally talk to my friends about my stories because, you know, you feel kind of a bit vulnerable about telling them in case they go, well, that sounds like a really terrible story and it kills it off really quickly. So, but I was talking to friends about, because of the nature of the story, I was talking to friends and someone told me about a boy they knew who had assaulted someone in the street and he had been jailed for eight months. So this was another kid exactly the same age as my younger son actually, just finished school and from a good home, good family, normally does the right thing, made catastrophic decision and the victim had a head injury. It wasn't a brain injury and this boy was jailed for eight months. So the other side of the story, so the perpetrator 
because I think we have a very clear idea in our mind of what a perpetrator looks like, what what a, a drunk thug looks like. And the more I investigated, the more it seemed to be a little more nuanced than I had imagined. And so I was seeing then boys in my community who had committed these crimes and had gone to jail. And a friend of mine told me a story about a boy she knew and he had got into a fight outside a bar, punched someone in the face or in the head, and a head injury rather than a brain injury, and he'd fled the scene. His parents marched him to the police station and he was jailed for 18 months. And I think that would have been a massive shock to them. They probably would have imagined that being from a good family, probably entitled, these kids would avoid jail. But, of course, they don't. You know, these are really strict laws for a very good reason. And so kids who make those catastrophic decisions at the age of 18 go to jail. And that's something that I wanted to investigate from that side as well. So I came up with the two mothers at the centre of the tragedy and we followed both of their stories. So the, the book alternates between the two mothers. And my intention was that you should feel torn and I don't, I don't know if that's, you know, that's something that you felt. But certainly when I was writing it, I felt torn. I could see, I could suddenly see the other side and I hadn't seen that side until I actually started investigating it further and writing it. And there is never an excuse for violence and these are, you know, terrible crimes. But how horrific as a parent to watch your son go to jail. Mm, Very brave to take them to the police station as well. Um, In your research, what sense did you get um, in terms of male violence? What what makes one young man punch over another? I'd say alcohol, pretty much, full stop. But we all drink. I mean, that doesn't lead me to violence. Yeah, but you're not an 18-year-old boy. Um, So it's that combination, I think, of boys who feel they're indestructible, they're out on the street. Is there a male culture? There is definitely a culture where violence is, you know, having having a fight is probably part of it and massive alcohol consumption. And I think, I think that's really a really big part of it. And I think people have always got into fights. And when I've spoken to people about it, they've said, back in my day, if you wanted to have a fight with someone, you organised it. It's like out the front, 6pm, you know, bare knuckles kind of thing. It was set up. It was organised. Now people just come from nowhere and punch other people in the back of the head. And that's what this king hit, this coward punch is and it's quite different from having a fist fight in somewhere that you know people can see what what's coming um but these random punches out of nowhere that end up with someone falling on the ground and splitting their skull open on the curb millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from noom like evan who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. 
real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Did you talk to any young men that had been hit or or were the perpetrators? Yes, I did. I did. I didn't want to go to dig too deeply because I didn't want it to be their story and I didn't mm-hmm. want people to feel like I was exploiting their tragedy. So I did a lot of research online investigating lots and lots of of these kind of assaults. Talked to people in the medical profession, neurosurgeons and speech therapists and things like that. So I did a lot of research, but because I had heard a lot of stories you know i knew how these things happened already and the specific friend i did have a long chat with her about the incident and i had chatted with him so i i felt like i knew the story but i didn't want to tell that specific story and i did it very much moved on from the stories that i had heard because i wanted the two mothers to to be connected in some way just for the story really rather than it you know being a complete stranger And how did you find transitioning from writing for children to writing for adults? Was that something that felt different? Well, I guess it feels different because you're a bit more exposed if you're writing for your peers. It's very easy to <laughs> please grade three kids. You know, you walk into a school and everyone's like, "Yes, Julie Fawson is here!" So it's super exciting, but. Writing for your peers is quite different, and you know, I felt like I would be, you know, quite rightly judged. And I, you know, I just hope I've written a story that that they will all enjoy. They will see the characters. They they will know the characters. They'll know the situation. So I feel confident that I will engage them. I hope they. I hope they like the story as well. And there's enough, you know, light moments. Even though it's a really, really sad, tragic tale, there are enough light moments. Hopefully, to balance that out, so it's not just a really grim, grim read. It's it's a bit more than that. But the thing about writing for kids is that I learnt how to structure a plot. That a problem, you you know, if you have a problem at the beginning of the story, it makes it really easy then to to write the plot because the characters then solve the story, and it's really about building on those characters, and that's probably the the thing that's different because I've got ninety thousand words rather than ten thousand words, or or fifty probably fifty thousand words was the longest that I had written before, but it was great background for me because I did have a lot of experience writing and also having journalism in my background so I felt like I knew how to write a story I understood the publishing industry I understood I had to back myself I also understood that I had to have a really strong story to get a publishing contract and it really wasn't a case of oh I'll just write this and see how it goes and this might be my practice novel this was something i really wanted published because i felt like it was a story i wanted to tell and so and i knew how i knew how the process worked so i knew how to get there um 
whether I was going to get there or not. I did. You never know. You never know if it's going to get picked up. But I felt like I had a better shot at it because I understood the process and I'd worked hard to get the story right in my head before I started. I think that's kind of really key to getting there relatively quickly. Mm. And are you the kind of writer that does have the story in your head before you start writing or do you tell me about your style of work? So definitely I, I guess it's different for each thing because this one I definitely had the story quite clear in my head and I knew exactly what the premise was from the second I started writing, but I had it had been ticking over in my head for a couple of years. So I'd given myself a couple of years, not consciously, but it had been there in my head. And I had imagined that this would be my first TV series that I would write. I, I actually saw it as a TV series. And I thought, well, I don't know how to write a TV series, so maybe I should write a novel instead because I know how to write a novel, I know the path to getting published, and I think writing a TV series is even harder to find someone to then take it on because they've got to put a lot of money into it. So, But I am pitching it to TV producers now, so hopefully that will be something that will come at some stage, but who knows. Right. So I had a clear idea. I did a course and I had a, a loose structure. So I had the chapters kind of worked out where it was going to go and I had an ending in mind. Then when I sent it to the publisher, Firm Press was very excited about the story, loved the story, the ending needs to change. <laughs> yeah. Just before we get there, I just want to ask you about your writing style. Like are you the person that, you know, sits at your desk for five hours and gives yourself 2,000 words a day or how does it come around for you? And was that process different in writing an adult book than, the, than right. a kid's book? Yeah. I, I really enjoy writing. So it's actually run to my, almost run to my desk first thing in the morning. I've, we've got a new puppy so now I have to take the dog for, I, I used to take my old dog for a walk after I'd sat at my desk for two hours. That would be my break taken. But the puppy is much more demanding. He can't wait. Yeah. <laughs> can't wait. It's like right out. But, you know, I'm thinking about the story the whole time. But I normally wake up with ideas of what I need to get down. And I will do, you know, I can do 10, 12-hour days, especially in the editing process, the, the kind of very creative side. I think I spend two hours just like plowing through it. And then I need a break and, you know, take the dog for a walk to do something else, but then I'll get back to it in the afternoon. So, yeah, I have to have a really good solid block of time, you know, weeks, months, you know, a few months where I know I can just like get immersed because once I get immersed, I don't want to be distracted by other things. So I'm not looking for ways to get out of it. I'm looking for ways to avoid everything else, like head down and, yeah, I just really immerse myself so people don't see me for days and you know my family forgets I'm here etc but you know <laughs> and so going back to the editorial process everybody agreed that the ending had to change talk to me about that I think as a journalist I had an idea of where it you know where it should end but the publisher was like yeah but it's a story right you know yeah. adding a new story here I'm yeah like, oh, okay so you know there's always a bit of pushback but I always find with editors that if they point something out that's not working, 
your first react, well, my first reaction is normally like, well, really? You know, I think it's actually pretty good. And then you go back and just go, oh, okay, right. Totally right. Their idea (laughs) isn't necessarily the right way to do it, but if they call something out or bring your attention to something, it is invariably something that needs to be fixed. It's quite rare that I would just go, yeah, no, that's fine the way it is. I mean, it really is always worth a second look. And I think it's very hard the first time you have a very detailed edit. It's very difficult to have someone pick apart your writing like that. And you do have to be quite resilient but you do have to recognise that an editor isn't a mean person and just (laughs) trying to be horrible. They want you to have a great book. And the editors that have worked on this one and the publisher, Kelly Doust, have been amazing. So, you know, full credit to them. Did you find the editorial process different with your adult book versus your kids' books or is it a similar process? Actually, well, this one was probably a bit more detailed, but I had actually the editor who worked on this one had all also coincidentally worked on a couple of my Choose Your Own Ever After books for 10-year-old, you know, 10 to 12 years. So it was, you know, in a way it was great because she kind of knew me already and she... She was very thorough, but I was very scared that she would want to take out the humour, which because it's a very tragic story, I felt that a bit of humour in it, and it probably sounds like it's the wrong place for humour, but I wanted there to be just that family dynamics. and mm, like, mm, No, I get that, yeah. yeah. So I was scared that she'd want to pull, pull all that out, you know, take out the fun bits, but she didn't. She didn't, you know, and it was only occasionally where she said, okay, too far here, just getting a bit silly here and, you know, pull back. But the thing that she pulled me back on probably more than anything was where the characters, and I, the two mothers are both flawed and, you know, I think every good story has to have, Flawed characters, right? Well, aren't we all? Yeah. (laughs) Aren't we all flawed? But sometimes she'd say, okay, they're flawed, but they're being really unlikable here. You know, I'm really feeling this. she's being too unlikable. I don't like her right now. And I hadn't really seen that as a problem, but she said, no, you want to pull back on that because you want to keep your audience engaged with these characters. You want them to be with them not just going because there's that risk of if somebody if a character I I think that's a high risk some writers pull it off really well but others if you really don't like a character you're going to disengage at some point yeah if that continues yeah and she's absolutely right you know I I sort of finished books and thought I did not like one single character in that story Mm. so I wouldn't recommend it to somebody else because it didn't speak to me. There was nothing in those characters that, you know, I, I didn't care what happened to them because I wasn't engaged. So, you know, you don't want to lose your audience in that yeah. way. So th- there were places where, okay, pull back on that side of their character that we've seen enough of that. And will you continue to write adult books, do you think? Yes, yes. Yeah. So I have a contract for a second one and that will be another gripping family drama set in the suburbs. So I'm excited about getting onto that and my deadline is <laughs> quickly looming and I feel like 
one punch is absorbing a lot of energy, even though I finished the book, you know, I've got launch events, etc. So I'm also excited about getting onto my story, my second story, and really getting my head down into that. The characters are now really talking to me, which which is a little bit different from the first book because the characters had been building in my head for a couple of years. And this one, I started from a standing start. So it's like, okay, this is the story I'm going to pursue. This is, this is my synopsis, go. And, you know, I didn't have the luxury of three years of characters talking to me and, and kind of deciding how, how they would look like. So I'm basically writing my way into it and then I'll have to do a very savage edit the next time round. No rest for the author, right? No. Um, no. Julie, thank you so much. I've enjoyed our conversation very much. Congratulations on the book. It's called One Punch. Thanks very much, Cheryl. If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit betterreading.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda audiobooks are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere, or you can download from Audible, Google Play or the iBookstore. We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app, join your local public library, and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of e-books and e-audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape, imagine, grow, and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks. Anywhere. Everywhere. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.